Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to your overview of markets in mere minutes. I'm Michelle Martin. Asia Pacific markets are trading moderately higher this morning following a rally on Wall Street overnight. Sydney leading the way. The ASX 200 is up a quarter percent. Tokyo and Seoul, they're in the green, but not by as much. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. How are you doing, Ryan Huang? I'm doing pretty okay. Yeah. It's just pretty cold today for some reason. <laughs> and I'm shivering. Oh gosh, I look forward to my next couple of hours in this freezer box. Now let's start the morning, Ryan, with a look at two locally listed companies that are making headlines. One is in finance and the other is in property and hospitality. Their recent share price performances could not be more different, but market watchers believe that both businesses may be well positioned for the future. The finance company is UOB. And its shares are performing well, up 6.5% over the past year, in line with the Straits Times Index. Our other stock in focus this morning is Fraser's Hospitality Trust. Now, as we discussed on the show yesterday, FHT unit holders rejected a bid to go private this week, and that sent FHT's share price plummeting. It lost nearly a quarter of its value over the past couple of days. So why are some market watchers, Ryan, at least bullish on both of these? stocks. Yeah, so you've got that playing out in the markets. Um, so this is, I think, if you look at what's playing out for UOB, this is something we'll be talking about later on. Um, it's making a lot of headlines because of its move recently to buy Citibank Group and now in the space of um, competing with the new digital banks that have just rolled out, of course, Trust and GXS. So it just announced a makeover of its brand and it's got a new brand, a new look and we'll dive into more details in just a few moments. So I think um, with those headlines, people will be just taking up, sitting up and taking more notice. Interesting, isn't it? All right, let's look at UOB aggressively expanding its consumer banking business across the region. So interesting, um, you know, saying that it's going to grow its physical presence and that's going to help it compete in the digital age. That's the headlines. Uh, Malaysian regulators just yesterday approved UOB's takeover of Citigroup's retail banking business there. And that is just one of several acquisitions that UOB has made recently. Tell us more. Yeah, so we've got the Citigroup acquisition. So first of all, it buys the consumer banking assets in Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand and Vietnam for almost $5 billion. So it's seen as an aggressive push across the region to expand its retail franchise in the ASEAN region. So this pretty much doubles UOB's existing retail base in the four markets from about 2.9 million to 5.3 million and it just fast tracks its growth target by five years. So that's how much this will do for UOB in terms of just supercharging its growth plans in the region. And UOB has said this is a way for them to kill four birds in four countries with just one stone. So this is going to mean opportunities for them to do more in the region, especially with cross-selling and bring to scale existing products. UOB is currently Southeast Asia's third largest bank in terms of assets behind DBS and OCBC. So what do you make of UOB's expansion? Could this help UOB move up the rankings? There is definitely potential for them to do so. So we have UOB talking about this deal helping them to elevate to a higher 
leadership position in various markets, for example, becoming the top three card issuers in Thailand and Malaysia as a result of the deal, and also among the top five in Indonesia. And along with Citi's portfolio, um, you've got the existing retail customer base in the four markets expected to double. So this is going to mean you have more opportunities for cross-selling, more synergies, more revenue streams that might be possible. And it's also worth noting is the first major acquisition by the current UOB CEO since he took over in 2007. So when he makes a move, it is not very, uh, I guess, in a way, common. Uh, so when he does make a move in the markets, it's something for you to take up, sit up and take notice because he, he normally saves his bullets for only very meaningful Transactions. At the same time, traditional banks like UOB are facing new threats from digital banks. How is UOB addressing this challenge at this point of history? Yeah, so this is interesting because you've got a very dynamic landscape in banking right now. A lot of new challenges coming on board and more to come. And everyone's been just going... Uh, giving a bit of a uh, more attention to the digital banks, which have been creating quite a bit of a buzz. And it's very interesting to look at how these shiny new offerings are not attracting more attention. And the older banks, um, many of them are saying, hey, it's time for them to catch up. And I think here is where UOB is recognizing that it needs to do more. And it is saying, no, digital banks, they do offer something special. Um, they can get data and technology, but UOB says it has the advantage of the personal touch. And this an area I think they are trying to play up. So they've just come up with a brand overhaul, a makeover. So it comes with a new uniform. So when you go to your branches today onwards, you probably might see um, the staff wearing new ambassador uniforms. Uh, also, it's got a new strategy around how branches operate. So if you look at how the new UOB Privileged Banking Centre Orchard is being set up, it comes with a wellness centre with a 3D body scanning and skin analysis equipment. So it's all part of our about offering more value to customers at physical locations. And it's also revamping these physical locations to be a more complete omni-channel strategy. So offering more services, higher value services to those who are, I guess, higher value clients and offloading some of those lower value transactions more seamlessly to digital channels. So it's got this game plan in mind to just have a more personal touch despite everything going digital. Yeah, very impressive, including things like uh, scanning, health scanning, uh, for individuals, talk about personalization and understanding, I suppose, what their demographics want. I mean, I remember when I had to redo my mortgage because I knew, you know, with interest rates going the way they were, I needed to do something about my mortgage. And the bank that I chose, you know, they gave me the best interest rates, I think, in a while. So I'm not going to name them. But I thought that the, the area that I had to sit down and wait to sign, you know, reams and reams of paper was so cold. And I thought, gosh, it's time for a revamp, seriously. So interesting that UOB is looking at both its infrastructure and digital capabilities as well. Yeah, so soon enough, you can get more services at your banks. You can go for body scan, Michelle, at a local branch. I know, check out my health at the same time. Uh, I like also that the uniforms come in various, you know, their, their trousers and their different tops and their different uh, configurations. So, you know, this idea of personalizing even extends to the staff of UOB at their branches. They can choose what they want to wear according to their roles. 
Interesting. Well, keep an eye out on UOB. Its stock is currently trading at around $27.28 per share. That's up about 1.5% over the past week. All right, next up on our corporate watch list this morning is Fraser's Hospitality Trust. FHT unit holders stunned many observers when they rejected what appeared to be a lucrative deal to privatize the company. FHT shares plunged following the decision. So what were FHT unit holders thinking? Why do you think they rejected the privatization? Yeah, when we talk about rejection, it was really just a whisker away from being approved. 0.12% from the 75% mark. So that's how close it was. And this on the table saw a cash offering of 70 cents per staple security. And this was a premium of 7% to the net asset value. So going by that, you might be scratching your head. Why didn't the shareholders want to vote for this? So it looks like it's generous enough. And if you look at the um, privatization offer, it's also in view of how the REIT has been trading at an average discount 19%, a discount 19% to its NAV since its IPO in 2014. So despite all that, you still have minority shareholders voting it down. So this, I think, is with the view that many of them feel there is a better deal to be made. Like, it has more upside. They feel the deal needs to be sweeter for them to take it up because of how the industry is playing out. You've got a recovery in the tourism space, Mm -hmm. travel, hospitality, and they feel perhaps that they might be leaving money on the table if they just take it up right now. So they are thinking, hey, the future has more for this street. So they are perhaps holding out for a sweeter deal. Well, more and more tourists are starting to return to Singapore. The number of tourist arrivals rose for the seventh straight month in August to nearly 730,000 visitors. FHT portfolios uh, extend beyond Singapore to Australia, the UK, Japan, Malaysia and Germany. So, Ryan, again, the privatization offer price, 70 cents a share. FHT now trading far below that at 53 cents. So, do you think the FHT unit holders made the right move in terms of the optimism ahead? Oh, only time will tell, but I think you do have some baggage there. If you bought into the IPO at 88 cents and where it is right now at 50 cents, you might be thinking, hey, I am... Not going to sell right now because it's almost a 20% discount to the IPO price. Maybe I'll just hold it on until I get back my money. So that could be one reason that could be um, in consideration. Uh, Also, I guess it's not just about getting the exit offer to make money from it. You can get your dividends if you stick around with FHT. And also the REIT manager has other options you can play with like divesting some of his assets, especially now when you've got hotel prices at 10-year highs, it's a good time to cash out and look for other opportunities. So this is, um, I guess, not the end of the road when it comes to options for both the unit holders as well as the REIT. I want to turn to US markets because stocks steadied a bit overnight after they suffered their biggest sell-off in more than two years a day earlier. The Nasdaq rose three quarters of a percent. The S&P 500 climbed one third of a percent. Now, one factor that helped boost investor sentiment came in the form of the latest producer price data. These numbers are looking more encouraging from an inflation perspective than consumer prices. Tell us more, Ryan. What is the latest on this front? Yeah, so in short, it was not as bad as the CPI numbers. And we've got a producer price index numbers coming in down for a second month in a row. So this also 
being moderated with the slide and fuel prices. So that number coming in um, by a 0.1% decrease from a month earlier. So that's good news for those who were shocked in a way by the CPI numbers, the Consumer Price Index numbers. That was hotter than expected, whereas the Producer Price Index numbers were pretty much in line. So no nasty surprises. I think investors took away some degree of comfort from how that played out. So no shocks, no hawkish surprises, at least no expectations of the Fed becoming even more hawkish. So that gave some comfort to investors to buy on the dips. And I think this is um, what played out. We saw the likes of Kathy Woods of ARK Invest fame buying into many of these growth names, especially Roku, um, to just show up her ETFs. So it's playing out for now um, to some relief for investors. As if the markets didn't have enough to worry about, there is now another major crisis pending in the United States. It's one that could impact supply chains and inflation. And this is a potential railroad strike. Freight workers and rail companies currently at an impasse. And if they don't reach an agreement by tomorrow, the US could experience its first rail shutdown in 30 years. Rail companies are making record profits. So what's going on, Ryan? Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, If you are working in the industry, um, according to them, they are going on strike over what they call grueling schedules and poor working conditions. You might imagine how people are now traveling more, going back to take trains. And this means more trains are needed and they need to be run by pretty much the same pool of people. And when we look at how the labor market is right now in the US, it's quite tight to some extent. Mm -hmm. So that's putting pressure on these workers who are currently there. So this is going to be quite a tough time for them to just tide over. So they are now calling for better pay, better conditions. Otherwise, they will go on strike, like I pointed out, for the first time in nearly 30 years. And you can imagine a lot of disruptions for people trying to get around, shipment of goods. And if it does stay that way, tourism will also be impacted. A railroad strike could really disrupt the US economy. It could cost it as much as $2 billion US dollars a day. Some 40% of US long-listed trade transported by trains and the timing of a potential strike couldn't come at a worse time for the Biden administration with congressional elections less than two months away. So what exactly is US President Joe Biden doing to try to avert a strike? Well, he's got a tough job because on one hand, you've got workers and the other hand, you've got a business. Mm -hmm. And he has to please both of them, right? Because one of them, the camp of workers will be voting for him coming in the next elections Mm -hmm. or at least his party. And then you've got the businesses he has to be seen as supporting as well, to be pro-business. So this is a tough balancing act for him. For now, it looks like he is trying to do what he can, saying he's going to explore all the options out there to try to address these workers' concerns, trying to offer themselves to be part of the conversation and the discussions. Uh, for now, it looks like there is very little he can do but to hope for the best. Time now for corporate news and a quick game of up or down. We haven't done this in a while, Ryan. Are you ready? Let's go. You're up for it. All right, let's start with Zara. All right, Zara is going to be an up for me. And this <laughs> is surprising. They have managed to squeeze out a pretty good first half profit despite 
all the inflationary problems we've been hearing about. I know. The company that owns Zara, Inditex, is reporting its best margins in seven years. So up in my book as well, the clothing retailer Zara earned nearly $3.5 billion during the first half of the year. Let's look at Google. All right, Google, that's a big down for me. They were fined over 4.1 billion euros. They tried to appeal it. Uh, They did not win. So it's going to be something they will be trying to figure out their legal options to see if they can further appeal this. Yeah, lots of glum faces at Google today. They've lost their appeal in a EU antitrust suit and the legal battles may still continue. But the courts currently say Google must pay a 4 billion US dollar fine. So definitely a down in my books for tech giant Google. All right, let's look at Patagonia. Are you familiar with Patagonia? I am uh, familiar with the founder of Patagonia, Yvonne Chouinard. This is a brand that prides itself in outdoor wear. So this is something you might want to look at if you are feeling cold in the studio. So it's (laughs) pretty much in the same rack of North Face, Nike and all these um, outdoor jackets. So it's got all these hiking gear going on. Uh, But the big thing about Patagonia is, is that it's seen as a very eco-friendly and very value-driven com- values-driven company. Yes. So here is something they've been doing, putting money where their mouth is, mm-hmm. pledging to give back even more than what they already are doing. So the founder of the company and his family is giving up pretty much all their shares to a trust structure for them to create almost perpetual giving machine to charity uh, to fight climate change, to encourage biodiversity and whatnot. So this is interesting um, because um, they've been doing quite a lot of good and now they are just giving away almost their company, everything, to... create this sort of foundation. I know. It's, it's incredibly, it's incredible what they're doing, building this incredibly successful company. First of all, Yvonne Srinath, one of my favorite founder stories uh, to track. He's an eccentric rock climber who became a billionaire and he's been um, touted as a reluctant billionaire because he's given so much of the company away. So a really unconventional spin on capitalism. Uh, Yvonne Srinath and his family, because they've given away their sticks in the company, are no longer longer billionaires. Uh, they've given their stock to a non-profit collective that has been set up to fight climate change. Uh, you look like you're permanently outfitted in Patagonia. <laughs> I am going to support them even more because of what they're doing. Interesting, interesting. Finally, a local entity, Ascendus Reit. Okay, I'm going out with Ascendus Reit. They are buying a Cold storage logistics facility in Singapore for over $190 million. Mm-hmm. So this is going to help them expand into the food supply chain, especially when it comes to supermarkets and the distribution of fruits and vegetables. That investment should be an up. So definitely an up in my books as well. Ascendus reinvesting nearly $200 million in that new cold storage logistic facilities thrust. Let's check in on how stocks are doing this morning. We are 23 minutes into the local trading day. The Straits Times Index finished down 1% yesterday at 32.58. Of the 30 stocks that comprise the Straits Times Index, only one finished the day in positive territory. Jardine Cycle and Carriage takes the prize for being the sole gainer yesterday among the blue chips. So what's the picture like this morning and is the SDI bouncing back from yesterday's losses? 
it looks like they are so far. So tracking the slight uh, momentum from the Wall Street action overnight, we are seeing the region slightly in the green and the STI up by 0.3% at 3,268. And across the board, you've got five counters underwater. At the bottom is Maple Tree Logistics Trust, followed by Maple Tree Pan-Asia Commercial Trust. SGX is down, followed by Capital Land and UOB, just slightly underwater. At the top of the table, we've got Janin Matheson Holdings, up by 3%. Genting Singapore falling behind, SATS, as well as Venture Corp. So those are the names um, at the top and the bottom of the STI table. All right. We've talked about Patagonia, but what about Yeezy? Ryan, are you a Kanye West fan? I am the opposite of a fan. <laughs> I don't really care about Kanye West. <laughs> All right. Not sure if you've seen this then, but uh, probably not. The rapper and the designer says he's done with corporate America. Kanye West says he will go it alone when it comes to his clothing line and shoe line, Yeezy. Once his contracts with Adidas and Gap expire. So it looks like he's turning his back on corporate America. What do you think? Can he succeed on his own? Well... I think he can. Sure, I'm not considering how he's managed to pull off a lot of these projects in the past. No, overpriced shoes, overpriced white t-shirts. He has made it happen. So I'm not ruling it out. So he says he wants to cut out the middleman when it comes to his business ventures. It just sounds like he wants to make the money all for himself. Yeah. Indeed, cutting out the middleman. Let's see how he builds up the infrastructure and balances the books there. All right, well, thank you very much, Ryan Huang there. I'm Michelle Martin, and that concludes your tour of Markets in Minutes this morning. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.